Bam, we're back. Welcome to another episode of Awakening With. Here, I, let me, oh, okay, let me start over again. So welcome to another, um, welcome to another episode of Awakening With, and today's guest, his name is Kevin. Let me read you a little bit about Kevin. Kevin's offering are filled with devotion, ceremonies, and rituals, and are shared with the intention of reclaiming our power cultivating self-love and finding forgiveness in order to heal. His teachings pay homage to the sadhus, reishis, and mystics and honor the tradition and ritualistic nature of practice, gracefully reminding, reminding us all that we are part of something sacred, timeless, and much greater than we know. Blessed with the opportunity to study classical hatha with the Savanadya Give me a second. Sivananda lineage, lineage in India, as well as the teaching of T. Krish, Krishna Makariya <laughs> through Vanasa and Ryan Lear. Vinyasa, Karma, and Survasta <laughs> Rama Swami and Ashanga under the guidance of Danny Paradise. Tantra with Savannah Shurin. Kevin set foot on the path of Sadhana, but with the great Wipa now, and with great respect and reverence to his teacher in the vast collective wisdom of yoga. Kevin shares the ancient yogic, yogic and shamanic, shamanic traditions he learned in a non-dogmatic, accessible way that speaks to the modern yogi. Kevin believes that the practice can be for everyone and shares practical tools, insight, and guidance to help us overcome obstacles in order to grow in the brightest and fullest and most authentic expression of ourselves. Let me introduce Kevin to you. Let's, let's get him on. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey. How are you? The, um... There, I feel like I might have not pronounced majority of those names right, <laughs> so I apologize for Stan about that. It's all good. It's all good. No worries. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a nice little bio and stuff, but this tells about the offerings and the things that you studied, but tell me about you. Tell me a little bit about you as the individual. Right, right. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you and all the beautiful conscious work you're doing for the world and the planet. It's so appreciated. Thanks, um, Absolutely. I, um, my story is a little bit different. I, uh, I used to live a very different life before um, yoga. I really do believe yoga um, saved my life. I, uh, I come from a background of addiction. Um, I, I was lost in addiction for many, many years, probably almost 15 years, um, that stemmed from um, self-worth that I struggled with to find my place in the world. You know, I'm from, uh, I'm from South Africa. We moved to Canada when, we're, when I was young um, with not that much. And I was just, ever since school started, it was just trying to fit in you know, and sometimes kids can be cruel. And, you know, when you're going to school every day with Indian food in your lunchbox and, and you're the only one that's having Indian food, you know, you're going to get picked on and made fun of and all those things. And um, that kind of started spiraling down from right then. I, I remember grade one, I spent, um, I spent the whole year eating my lunch behind a door because I didn't mm. want to get made fun of, you know, so that's kind of where my path started. And it, it was a struggle of just trying to fit in, trying to find my way to fit in, to be accepted for who I am. And, you know, as junior high and high school came on, it, um, <clears throat> it came to a place where I had no idea who I was. I was just trying to do absolutely every single thing just to make a friend. I didn't really have any friends. And um, so with that came doing things that didn't serve me, but doing things to just fit the crowd, you know? And um, I remember quite clearly in, in grade nine, you know, being around a group full of people 
and everyone's talking and I'm just trying to be accepted in that moment. And they're all speaking racial slurs and all these things, even towards me, but I didn't have any kind of voice. I just stood there and took it because I'm like, mm. okay, I guess this is just how it is. You know, um, I was very ashamed of who I was and how I was being treated. I felt ashamed of my skin color um, because I got picked on. I got in little, I got beat up. I got in fights and all these things because of my skin color or the color of my hair or the color of my eyes. And um, coming from South Africa, I had such, and, and seeing racism through apartheid, um, I'm very sensitive to that. And I, I would just go home crying, um, mm -hmm. to be really honest, um, because I, I had to be strong in those circumstances around those people, because I was, I was really afraid of judgment. It was a, I, just wanted, I just wanted people to like me, and, you know, plain and short of it. Um, and around grade eight, I guess, is where the addiction started. Um, I was out at a party and the bottle started passed to me. Everyone else is doing it. Okay, let's get into it, you know, and just again, trying to be accepted. And the alcohol turned into drugs. The alcohol turned into drinking every single day. Um, the drugs turned into doing blow and cocaine every day um, and just losing complete sight of Kevin um, to the point of, I put away Kevin for 15 years. I, I created a separate identity. I created a separate name. No one even knew Kevin. Anyone that would meet me, they wouldn't, the only person people that would know is my family. Everyone else knew me as the other name that I went by was Voodoo. That someone said to me and my ego just loved that. So hmm. here's someone, they're calling you Voodoo. Okay, you're being seen now a little bit. So my ego ran with that and I continued to dive deeper into the darkness, um, to be really honest. And uh, it got to a point when I was 23, I, was, I moved as soon as I was done high school, I bought a one-way ticket to London and thinking I could make a change. And things got tenfold in London. Mm -hmm. The drugs got tenfold, the amount of drugs, the type of drugs, everything else. And at 23 or 24, I tried to take myself out. Um, I just, I didn't know what else to do. I was at a club. It was three in the morning. I was in London. So, so I bought a handful of pills, little handful of pills. I'm like, okay. And consciously took the pills. And I, I don't remember to this day, to be honest, what happened for three days. I, I, I woke up on the floor three days later. Um, not knowing what happened and um but you know being being an addict and being in that state all i did when i opened my eyes i went right back to it i started i remember i started cutting lines of cocaine and i i started doing blow right away and started leaving continuing into that life of an addict to the he said, me trying to take myself out didn't really register. I was too involved in the shadow aspects um, of who I am. Um, and I continued, I continued that way. Um, and as I continued, I, I, I used, I, I treated people not very good. I, I judged every single person that walked by me thinking I'm high and mighty. Um, I treated my parents not very well. I, I, I would react, I would attach, I would do all these things. And um, I found myself, after traveling, I found myself um, living in the Caribbean and running a bar and continuing heavily um, influenced by drugs and alcohol and uh, a friend of mine who's a yoga teacher in Vancouver excuse me she came and stayed with me for a month and we started practicing on the beach and um, 
I had no idea anything about yoga really. And the first day it was, I struggled. It was really hard. I was, I was, I was surprised and I didn't, I couldn't do a lot of it. And by the end of that class, I was bawling my eyes out like a two-year-old and mm -hmm. I hadn't bawled my eyes out for years and years and years. I, I, I thought it was a weakness. I wouldn't show my vulnerability. I would, I would, I would do this and I would stack everything down that I didn't want to look at. And we can, we kept on practicing every day and every day I was bawling my eyes out. And after a week, I'm like, what's going on? I called my mom because my mom's my go-to. She's, I'm a straight mama's boy. I always have been. And I'm like, what's even going on, mom? I don't know. I feel like I'm going crazy. I'm just, I'm bawling like a two-year-old and I can't stop and I'm shaking uncontrollably. And my mom just said, keep going. Something is happening. So keep going. So I did, but I still had that foot in the party door. Um, but I saw this other side and I saw this sense of light and the sense of light that was within, but there was fear because there was so much fear. What's even inside? Who the hell am I? What am I even going to see? I don't know what's going to even go on here, but I kept on going. And, um, I found myself back in Canada. I found myself back at my parents' house um, at Christmas time. I was living in Vancouver, came back to Saskatoon. And um, my mom sat me down and she's like, you know, I've been seeing these changes, these subtle changes within you. And um, is this something that you'd like to do? Uh, would, you, would you like to, you know, be a yoga teacher? Or would you like to do this kind of work? And I, I, I shut her down and cut her off right really short. And I was like, there's no way I'm not good enough. I'm there's I've done way too many horrible things. I, 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 my body's broken. I just went through a list and I shut her down every time she tried to say something positive about it. So I left the next day. I went back to Vancouver and, um, about a week later, I got a letter in the mail from my mom, basically saying, I believe in you. Hmm. I believe in you and I believe in your, in your path and I can see your path clearly. And in that letter, there was a plane ticket to India. And in that letter, there was a check for $5,000 for a teacher training. And she's like, you go, I believe in you. I'm wow. here for you. So I left three weeks later and I, um, I, I checked myself into an ashram for 37 days, um, studying, doing a 200 hour training in a very, coming from a very traditional um, place. And it was scary. It was scary <laughs> walking in and, and um, you know, all these rules are being placed on you within this ashram and your behaviors and your eating and all these restrictions and, it was very new to me and I just wanted to run to be really honest, but I, I stayed and for every one of those 37 days, I called my mom bawling my eyes out from a payphone every single day because everything started getting stripped away, stripped away. And a sense of Kevin started to start to peek through um, mm -hmm. all this darkness that I created through creating my own suffering for so many years. And I kept on going and, you know, it, things started to make sense. Things started to communicate. I started writing. I started um, to feel my emotions for, excuse me, the first time and not being scared. I, I always thought vulnerability was, was this weakness, but my mom, my mom, my whole life always told me it was my biggest strength, but I never listened to that. I never really did. I, I think the world was showing me that, no, you don't show those things. You go behind a closed door and you do that, but that's not who I am. And that's really how I found that out and um, came to that place of my purpose, came to that place of um, loving myself for maybe the first time ever mm -hmm. and, 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 and looking at my future through the eyes of creator and through the eyes of unconditional love, not through the eyes of judgment and, and, and 
play and looking at things through a hierarchy, but looking at things as an individual. And, you know, my purpose ever since that first teacher training has always been the same. It's I want to break division in this world. I want to bring everyone back to heart space and, and to the place of just loving themselves. Because how we use that word so loosely in life, we tell everyone and their dog, we love them as we're walking through the day. But when it comes to us, we run away. And I know that was me, I would run away or I'd make a joke about it or I'd fluff it off, but there was no recognition of um, receiving that love. So that was, um, that was, my, that was my beginning into, um, into the yoga journey. But I made a commitment to myself, at, that was 11 years ago. And that commitment at that first teacher training was that I would continue to study and I would, I would do a training every single year to fill my well and to inst instill the knowledge of tradition. There's, there's this beautiful tradition that comes from India, that comes from Egypt through the hieroglyphics, that comes from the Mayan culture, that comes for so long, you know, and these beautiful tools of awakening, of loving ourselves. It's just so special and I really do believe that I, I, I really do believe that it's for all of us. These teachings are for all of us. This oneness, this yoga means union, coming together with all aspects of yourself, rooting into all aspects of yourself. And you know, it, it's, it's really taught me that the shadow isn't your enemy. I've really come to see that the shadow is my greatest teacher. You know, sometimes we move in light and we're scared to look at our journey. We want to grow up so big and we're scared to look at our journey because of one word, because of the mistakes that we've made. But I really do believe there is no mistakes. They're all teachers. They're all, you know, every right turn that should have been a left, every left that should have been a right. They're a teacher that we're offering guidance there so we can come back onto our path and onto our purpose and reclaim who we really are. Because we are, we're unconditional love, and our heart is our biggest protector. One of the greatest, one of my greatest uh, stories from the yoga tradition is the story of Durga, uh, Divine Mother, where it's the story of the power of love defe defeating the love of power. And the power of love, when we have it and we're sitting in that cave of our heart, is everything. It's absolutely mm -hmm. everything. So that's. That's my journey into um, into this in, onto this yoga path, um, but I, I must confess, for the first few years I was teaching, I was teaching with my ego. I was trying to be the cool kid. I was trying to be this rock star yogi person, um, and you know, social media really triggers those things when you see all these other people and these kind of things, and. It triggered me in such a way that I lost sight of my purpose. And mm -hmm. I started teaching with my ego. I just wanted to be seen as this cool kid on the block, right? And it took a lot of work. Um, and right at that point, I woke up one day. I woke up one day and I lost my eyes. Mm. That was at a point where I was teaching with my ego. And I really look to the deeper teachings behind that. But I woke up and I, I was down to 20%. My left eye was gone. My right eye was down to 20%. And glaucoma came in overnight with no, I had no idea I even had any eye issues. Um, that day changed everything. When my doctor said, you're not going to see anymore. You're going to be blind. This is your new reality. Um, I wanted to run. I actually grabbed a passport. I went to the airport. I'm like, I'm out of here. Um, I don't want to deal with that. I, I don't want to sit in that uncomfortability. I, I can't even go there. But I chose to stay. Um, I chose to stay and sit in it. And... I was in the darkness for a while, you know, beyond just not being able to see, but in the darkness of my soul. Um, 
trying to trying to let that register that this is my new reality. And about three weeks after that, my dad called me. And my dad's the type of person that he doesn't take no for an answer. He'll find a way. And he came up and he's like, I found a stem cell treatment in Thailand for your eyes. Hmm. And it shut him down right away because I don't know. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, no, I don't. And he kept on feeding me information for a few weeks. And I came to the conclusion that, you know what, an option's an option. So let's take this option and let's, let's go. But there was a restrictor there. There was a $30,000 bill with that treatment. And I didn't have that. Um, and my wife did it behind my back because I, I, I would never let her do it. But she started to go fund me. She's like, mm. you so much amazing work for so many people um let's put this out there and you know the the yoga community raised that money for me in four weeks wow. it just blew my mind it just absolutely blew my mind and uh, but within that there was there were some judgments you know because some people think they know what a stem cell treatment is but others get confused on it and you know some people think it's coming from a dead fetus, and that's not the truth. I actually know the mother that gave birth to the healthy baby boy that was a match for me. But, you know, at that time of me going public and sharing my story, I got hate mail. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad got hate mail. My wife got hate mail and hate mail through emails. I got called out on social media from someone that calls himself a master yoga teacher because I'm going for a stem cell treatment, but how does anyone know, how can anyone make a judgment like that when they don't know what's going on with you? You know, they don't know what your story is. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what the health is. And it was a big trigger for me to be honest. I just, I was like, how can, what is up? Like, I just wanted, my wife was so mad. She wanted to go bang on people's doors and be like, what's up? Like hate mail, really? Mm -hmm. But the majority of it was a lot of love and support. So I'm so grateful for my community that sees me. So I left with my mom and my dad holding space for me and went to Thailand for 27 days. I had seven injections of stem cells over those 27 days. I had a lot of therapy, including uh, isolated oxygen chamber every day for an hour. Um, a lot of uh, occupational therapy, physical therapy along the way. Um, two spinal taps with a seven-inch needle, right in the lower, right in the lower lumbar spine. And I am so grateful for my practice that took me through because they wanted to put me out for those spinal taps, and I said, "No way! I want to stay awake. I want to feel that needle going in. I don't want to. I want to know what's going on." So I connected to my practice and I started chanting on the operating table and they let me. I had to fight with them to let me to do it, but they, they let me. And, you know, my practice took me through. But when you're, when you're bandaged off and you have, you have nowhere to run or you have nowhere to hide anymore. So that was the time where I had to look at all of my shit. I had to look at everything that I stacked my entire life. Every time I caused my own suffering, every time I judged people, every time I wasn't a very good son, every time I wasn't a good friend, every time I wasn't a good person. And wow, <laughs> there was a lot of, there was a lot of shadow work that I had to do there. Um, but I had also had my 40th birthday in that hospital. And with bandages on my eye, I remember feeling my way to the bathroom and standing, putting myself in front of a mirror and telling myself I love myself for the first time mm -hmm. and standing there until I could receive it. And that's been a day-to-day -day practice for me since that day, because I really do believe it all starts with us. And as we heal, we heal the entire collective. We're all in this together. We're, we're a family and we're all in this together. And that was a big catalyst of 
my awakening is of coming back to who Kevin really is and starting that journey to find out who he is. So the last four years has been deep soul work, has been tracking my shadows and every single corner, has been making amends with little Kevin, my inner child, and telling him I love him. Because how can we really be whole as an individual if we're disconnected from our little person or our adolescent self? So I had to make some peace there and, um, and make him feel safe again because I'd shut him down for so long. So the last while has been stripping back the veil of illusion and coming back to all that I am so I can sit in all that I am and all that I choose to be with this clear, clear purpose. Um, and then as life, as life always throws you these curveballs, um, eight weeks ago, I lost my mom very yeah. unexpectedly. And my entire world fell because she was my entire inspiration to come onto this path. Um, and for a couple of weeks, I, I felt lost. I felt numb. I couldn't even go onto my mat. I couldn't teach. I couldn't do anything. I just felt shut down. But I kept on coming to sit at the altar and just sit there and talk and pray and, and things. And um, my mom kind of gave me a swift, swift kick in my ass <laughs> on, through meditation one day. And she's like, you need to remember your purpose and you need to go after what you want. You only have this one life. Honor you and do what you do. And that's what, I, that's what I try to do every day. I want to bring healing and forgiveness through everyone. I want to, I want to work with people to bring them to this place of, of, of love, of looking through the world through that lens of love, uh, through letting go of judgment, through you know, letting go of what others think of them. That was my biggest catalyst that put me into the darkness of addiction was caring so much about what others think of me, but it doesn't matter, you know? I was like, if you want to judge me, go for it. I'm right here, bring it. Like, it's all fine. I've done enough work to be able to stand in me and to be able to sit in me and to sit in all of me. So now it's spreading love. I'm, I'm going out into the world and I, I, go, I go where I'm invited to teach to speak and to present. When I do that as my, as my foundation, there's no ego that comes in there. It's I go and I speak and teach from a really clear channel. And you know, I'm every day is in gratitude of the sadhus, these spiritual aspirants in India, the rishis, all of my teachers, and you know, my greatest teacher and always will be my greatest teacher is my mama always so every day is in in service of kevin in service of this planet in service of our community and just coming back to love i really do believe that's our um that's our biggest strength and like i said before our big our deepest connection to that strength is our vulnerability when we can really show ourselves, and you know keep going oftentimes i'm teaching and i'm a i'm i'm a bit of a crybaby as i have connected to my emotions and now it's i don't shut it down anymore even if i teaching in a full room i'll just let it let it go and let it flow because that's what's um, that's what's needing to happen. That's how everything is unfolding. Um, so every day is in, in complete gratitude for the work I get to do every day and for this life I get to live every day that my mom gifted me with. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, just being open, honest, sharing your story. Um, I... Uh, 
just through what you said, I know that a lot of people can relate to a lot of aspects of it mm-hmm. because we are born into this world without an instruction manual. And we believe that this is how it is that fit into a structure, even if it makes us feel out of place, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we must put these ideas and constructs and, and beliefs over who we are, what we are and how we feel the idea of trying to fit in with others when we don't fit in ourselves, that was seen as that is correct. And the fact that to feel your emotions, to feel the feels, to be you, to be a male and to be emotional and actually find that to be our superpower was not considered, you know, me by hearing your age is, was not considered to be in our age what males do. Right. And also the fact that, you know, when when a lot of us are younger, the reason that, you know, we get into drugs and we get into things is because we spend so much of our life thinking that who we are is wrong, that we eventually find something that we feel is a catalyst that will help us connect to our true selves. But that's the self that needs to fit into society. That's the self that needs to fit in with the ego. That's the self that needs to do all the things that made you feel uncomfortable, but now find a way to be in that path and continue to feed that beast until you finally find your place. But as you know, it just gets hungrier and hungrier and wants more and wants more until there's nothing more to give. And then you're left with the choice of ending it or moving forward with it. But you have no choice because you've literally hit the bottom of the pit. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so much truth. Thank you for that. I really, I really, that went right in and I felt that. I felt your words. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in this world of, of yoga as well, there is, there's this division that's happening in this yoga world. Um, and this separation of you have to be flexible, you have to do this, you have to do that. And I just hate that because I want to bring accessibility to all this practices for all of us. So I created a television show. We're shooting season three in the new year. And it's it's a yoga meditation show for visually impaired viewers. Because from when I lost my eyes and I wanted to give back and to show how accessible it is for all of us, whether we're in a wheelchair, whether we don't have our eyes, whether we can't hear, but there's so many different practices that we can all do to bring us all back together as one, one family. I think that's beautiful. One of the things that I like that you were talking about as you're going through it was the idea and the concept of love. Yeah. And what I really enjoyed from from what I heard is it's not to it's to love somebody who they are now. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday, doesn't matter what you're doing tomorrow, it's just I love you here in this present moment and you're human and there will be good days, there'll be bad days, there'll be days that you'll make mistake, but I love you because I'm finding ways to love myself. And through that, I recognize the struggle, the pain and everything that you go through. Right. So when you were speaking, sorry. No, go ahead. Absolutely. So when you're finding, you know, a lot of times there's nowadays people speak about, you know, you must love yourself before you love other people. I don't agree with that in the sense that you can find love for yourself through other people. You can find love for yourself through yoga. So you were discovering love for yourself. What was the struggles and the challenges that you found and, how were you able to embrace a little more of it in your life? The struggles that I found was I, my inner critic, my mm. thoughts, my inner critic, my self-defeating thoughts and my judgments, they, they would overtake that love. They would, they would sabotage that love. Um, they, would, they would diminish that, that sense of love. Um, my, my critical mind was nonstop. Um, 24-7 and you know coming from that place of uh, lack of self-worth that mm-hmm. was in another layer to it 
Um, and the piece that's really helped me to find the structure and to just to be love is coming under that umbrella of none of us are perfect. Mm -hmm. Life isn't magic and unicorns every single day. I, 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 I can say I, I try my best every single day not to make judgments on other people, but I'm not perfect. It, mm -hmm. it happens sometimes, you know, I, there is judgments there without me even being conscious of it, but you know, there is, but what I've learned there before I used to beat myself so much about those judgments and I've run the rabbit hole down in negative thoughts. And now it's, I honor the wound. Mm -hmm. I the wound and I keep going. And that's, those three words are like the catalyst of me coming into that love inside of myself is honoring the wound. None of us are perfect. When we can honor the wound, we can honor our journey. When we can honor the wound, we can honor ourselves. When we can honor the wound, we can really be free to who we really want to be. Because we're all here together. We're all here supporting each other's greatness every single day, being reflections of each other. And I like what you say about that because, you know, as you grow up, you hear about um, yoga, you hear about spirituality, you hear about all these things. Mm -hmm. I like spirituality because spirituality is like science in the sense that it doesn't tell you, but it, it provokes you to ask more questions. Right, right. And also, also the fact that when people talk about interconnectivity, they're like, well, I don't see how I'm inter interconnected. Well, even if we were to look at it in a business sense, if you were to, for example, destroy the trucking industry, which is eventually will become automated, and the reason I'm bringing this up, as you'll see, is truckers support the restaurants on the road. Right. They support the hotels on the road. So when the truckers stop, the hotels stop, the, ho the restaurants stop. That means the produce that they're buying at the local markets don't get as much business. That means the farmers, the amount of crops they need to get are less, and it keeps on going back and back and back. So that's from a business point of view. Now, if you look at it in that way, and then you were to switch it up in your life, you as a teacher are in class. You holding space for people to show up however they choose to show up in that moment without judgment you allow them to walk out into the world and share that moment with somebody else, which shares a moment with somebody else and continues to do the ripple effect. Yes. Yes. So true. So true. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, that, that coordinates with that being a reflection for each other and, and holding space for each other. And, you know, holding space means no judgment. And in my world, that's what it means. It's like creating a safe environment so you can, hold space for people, you know, because we don't, you know, just using an example of, uh, of teaching a yoga class, you know, having 30 bodies walk into that, that room, we don't know anyone's story. Mm -hmm. We don't know any, where, where everyone's coming from. We need to honor and respect and allow comfortability within everyone in that room. And that's, that's holding space. It's, it's safety. It's not putting them in uncomfortable positions that make them have a trigger to something that's happened into the life. It's making accessibility and honoring their process, honoring their bodies, honoring where they are. I used mm -hmm. to own a studio for a few years in town. And um, one of my rules at the studio was I would never close the door. Even if a class was on and going on, I would not close the door. Why? Because some people need a safe space. A lot of people don't have a safe environment and a safe space in their world. Mm -hmm. You know, I would let people come in and just do Shavasana for the whole class because they need to be in a safe space. Another reason I would be, what if the life just got in the way and they, could, they got to that class 10 minutes after it started? They probably need that class more than everyone else in that room. So I'm going to keep that door open. I want to honor every single person and meet them where they're at. And, that's and I like, mm -hmm. yeah. oh, please continue. Like what, what I really like about what you're saying is because when you start to grow and you start to learn, it's the idea of consistency in your words and your actions. So for example, it's like, 
I will hold space and I will do everything for you. Thank you to my class. The door is closed. But that's not honoring what you're saying. What I like about what you're saying is not only do you say it, but you embody it and you create a space for people to feel it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, you know, it's like, I like how you did that because, you know, they're, they're noticing and they're feeling and they're connecting, mm -hmm. right? It's like, um, I believe everything in this world that we want starts with our intention. It starts with our root intention. And then it goes to bhavana, it, which is our cultivation. And then it goes into our dharma, which is our purpose. It's those three steps, sankalpa, bhavana, dharma you know, to, to get us clear on our purpose. And if we can go through that avenue, we don't have any hooks um, of what we're trying to be. It's just clarity of our path in front of us. Beautiful. And the thing is, like, I know that as you are a yoga teacher and you do a lot of things and you came through your awakening and a lot of things through yoga and acceptance and going into it, I just want to make sure that people are listening. It, it doesn't have to just be yoga. Like, I'm a runner. You know, and the running community is, I can run faster than other people. I can run slower than other people, but there's acceptance along the whole way. It's just like if you're going to find your tribe, find ones that accept you for your speed, for your emotions, for whoever you are and however you show up. I course, absolutely love that. I love that. Because regardless if we're doing yoga, if we're running, we're going to the gym, we're doing anything like that, it's about that connection to self. And surrounding, surrounding us with people that support us in our journey and, um, and doing and, and inviting individuals and people in that are in the same alignment as, as you are. Yes. I, I feel that's how we support each other's growth. Yeah. The idea is a lot of us were put into high school where we had to fit in. Mm -hmm. Now that a lot of us are not in high school or in school, we have a choice of where we want to belong. It's not about fitting in anymore. It's about belonging. And that's so important, which brings me to a point that I really want to discuss with you because, you know, I'm not the only one. You're not the only one I had. You know, I'm, it's been seven years since I've had a drink. Um, I used to do, I used to put everything in my face because I had the same issue almost the same idea that you had was worth. Right. I'm not enough, so I need this to make me better. And then the beast would be like, well, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. So now that it's been years since you've done anything, how, and I'm going to ask this in this way, because I, I, I'm very curious to know how your answer is. How do you find your worth? How do you find your worth nowadays? I find, I honestly, I find my worth in, sitting in myself every day mm. I find my work in doing a mirror practice as soon as i come out of the bed every day telling myself i love myself i find my worth honestly through devotion through devotion to the goddesses to my angels and guides to my mom who's always in the cave of my heart guiding me mm how I find my worth it's I really do feel um in yoga there's a we, there's a uh, a word called bhakti bhakti means devotion traditional yeah. love it's it's the yoga of love really um as Krishna Das says um so my worth I I find through a consistent devotional practice when I can stay consistent on my devotional practice I keep that monkey mind and that negative mind and the negative self-talk at bay and I can move clearly and freely through my day um, connected to my purpose. So the next question I want to continue because a lot of times when people share these stories, people are like, oh, wow, look at where they are. They've achieved so much. So they probably don't have what I'm still dealing with, which is negative emotions. So when you get negative emotions nowadays, so I'd like to ask it in a two-part question. When you got negative emotions and feelings prior to a lot of this, how did you handle it? And now when you get them, how do you deal with them today? So prior, I would stack it down or I would let it unleash on other people around me. Mm. <laughs> I, would, I would let that, I, you know, that would be that trigger. And that was me very reactive all the time. And now 
it's honoring my emotions. Whatever emotion comes up, you know, when my mom passed, I was pissed at the universe. I'm not gonna mm. lie, I'm really angry. I was angry and I, I blessed my wife. My wife came down, she's like, you know, she's like, I'm gonna leave the house. Here's a pillow. You go and hit that pillow and scream and yell as much as you need to because you need to get that out. You need to honor the emotion. So now when it comes up, I honor it. If it's mm. mad, I grab a pillow. I, I'll hit that pillow, I will scream and yell, I will do whatever I need. If it's sadness, which a lot came up with my mom as well, I'll honor that and I'll let the emotions out instead of um, <clears throat> putting it out onto other people or stacking it down. I honor it now. I honor mm -hmm. every single piece. Um, and I guess the underliner there is I allow myself to feel it now instead of just stacking it in and just letting it build and build and build and build. But now it's like, okay, you're angry. How does that feel? Because why shouldn't I have permission to feel my anger? All of us should be. Why shouldn't I have permission to feel my sadness, to feel my grief? Why shouldn't I have permission to have a kitchen dance party because I'm just feeling some some, some, um, some fun? You know, I say that because, you know, as we, as we, we get older, I know for me, I, I lose a sense of play sometimes. Um, and for me, I make a conscious effort to have a kitchen dance party every single day because that's mm. my, that's my form of play i like that <laughs> to also making sure that you know you honor the inner child of you he wants to play let him play he wants to do this let him, let him do it like you know Absolutely. it's, it's <laughs> not it's not mishonoring anymore it's like honoring and 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 feeling into those pieces when they come up one of my one of my thoughts that I've always had is not always that I've had over the years is being an adult is an illusion. Mm -hmm. We're all children, mm -hmm. you know, but we wear adult clothes and we say adult language and we do adult things, but it doesn't right. mean we're an adult. Right. You know, we all want to get dirty in the mud. We want to have some fun. We want to, you know, have those times where we laugh until our stomach hurts. Like we want to be children and have fun as children. But yet we tend to put in the, um, we take away the playfulness of the child. Yes, absolutely. And, and we make it serious because it goes back to what, what you were saying before is because this is how you think it has to be because this is, nobody told us that there was another choice. So when people are like, you're getting unplugged from the matrix, it's the idea is, no, you're actually understanding that you have a choice. Yeah. That you're, you're, you're not a character in a book you're not the the narrator you're not even the author you're the librarian you can choose whatever you want pick up whatever book you choose you know it's like people think well no no this is my book i have to write it every day if you don't like your book put the one in the book go to the library get another book get another book do whatever you want you have the choice right so once again um so one more question well two more questions before we go um one when you do have your thoughts and you do have your emotions and you have your feelings, I want to ask you, are you those thoughts? Are you those feelings? I, I, you know, I, I do feel that I'll speak to the feelings and I do believe, yes, that is me. That is pieces of me that are feeling into those emotions that are bringing up the, the, that feeling, um, whether it's sensitivity or sadness or, or mad or anything like that. Thoughts, on the other hand, I feel like to a certain degree, they are ours, but a lot of it is come through projection of mm. the world around us um, and everything, right? Because the world shows us that we need all these things, all these things to be happy. By the end of the day, all we need is inside. Every single thing that we need in this life is within us. And once we start stripping back the veil of illusion, we start to see who we are. Who are we without this title? Who are we without our car, without our home? Who are we without our friend circle? You know, when we start going through that and stripping it back, we start to come home. We start to walk ourselves home. You know, Ram Dass, one of his quotes there mm -hmm. is walking yourself home. Right? <laughs> 
And that's really what I feel that this practice has allowed me. It's to walk myself home to Kevin unconditionally. I love that. I agree with that. I believe that there, there needs to be in a moment in our lives um, that we get stripped down to the bare bone naked to show who we actually are and then slowly start building ourselves up to what we actually want in our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Totally true. Mm -hmm. So before we go, I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for just being so open to share your story and, you know, to give us your time. I, I really want to acknowledge you for, you know, your courage to find your emotion, your courage to discover your path, the courage to be the individual that you are, because no matter who we are, this isn't easy. But to know that if you don't go down this way, things will become harder is, is just such a gift. And also for the things that you do, for the television shows, for your classes, for your words, for the individual that you are, I just want to acknowledge you and just say thank you so much for all that you do, all that you are, and yeah, for you. Thank you. That means more than you possibly know. I'm so deeply grateful and deep bows of gratitude for you and all the beautiful conscious work you're doing that's connecting the world and bringing all of us back home, back home together and back home to right here in that cave of our heart. Thank you, brother. For all the conscious work you're doing. It's so noticed and it's so appreciated. I appreciate that. I do. So before we go, where can people find you? Um, people can find me on Facebook, Kevin Naidu Yoga. They can find me on my website, Kevin Naidu Yoga. If they want to catch the television show, um, there's a link off of my website directly, or it's on every Saturday morning. Uh, the network's actually out of Toronto. It's AMI, Accessible oh, yeah. Inc. Um, and it shows uh, every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. Beautiful. Yeah, and all my workshops and things um, that I'm teaching and speaking and presenting on are um, on my schedule on my website as well. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll make sure that when this is posted that we put all your links, all the information and all the information, like so everybody knows exactly where to find you, how to find you, and that you're a human that anybody could reach out to, talk to, share a moment. Is Absolutely. that correct? Absolutely. 100%. We're all in this together. 100%. Thank you so much once again, brother. I really appreciate you, your time for doing this, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. You create a magical day, brother. One love. Same to you, brother. Bye. Bye.